Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue our praise of God uh, by telling you what he did for us uh, this last year. I know some of you have been asking what the results were. Um, And so I always invite people who know more than I do. And in this case, this is Mark McMurrin, the director of our operations here. And he's going to give you a report that I think will show you the greatness of God. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. If you'd pull out your worship guide, and if you open that up, and if you were to look at the financial report, you're going to see how we ended the year for 2015. And because of your generosity, we have ended up with a budgetary surplus of $646,000. For many, this came as an outpouring of taking your next step in your giving journey as we gave to our tipping point commitments and the response was overwhelming and just shows in a very tangible sense as we take that next step together the impact they can make for the kingdom. And in 2016, uh, for the budget, the elders have put forward a new budget which aligns with the goals of Tipping Point, where the surplus as well as the tithes and offerings that you'll give in 2016 will accomplish. And if you'll recall that it's about funding our ongoing ministries here at Northland while we're eliminating our debt and to expand church networks, personal churches, locally and globally, And so it's an exciting time as we step into this new season together. Also, um, if you have additional questions about church finances, because many of you I'm sure have, um, I would really enjoy the questions. As part of my job, which I really get to sit down with congregants to talk about, okay, well, how does this funding impact certain areas and things that I'm passionate about and those ministries that are being impacted? Well, I would openly ask you to just call the church office and ask for me. We'll set up a time to sit down together. And you may recall we're members of the ECFA. And the ECFA is the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Financial accountability and transparency is very important to us as we give generously for God's kingdom. And we're currently in an audit process, which is one of the requirements of the ECFA, where um, independent auditors are coming to view our financials for last year, and those financial statements will be available to congregants upon your request. So you can also email, I can send those out to you. Also, lastly, is you may be thinking, tipping point, I remember we talking about that, we were praying about it, but we didn't really get in on filling a commitment card, is it too late? No, it's not. We are still collecting these tipping point cards, and this is a way that you can pray about what God's asking you to give and also live. Because giving is just a step towards our living in a relationship with Christ and participating in the work that he's doing. And this card is available 
in, at the um, offering boxes in the back of the, uh, the room, as well as for those that are online, if you go to our website, you'll be able to click on the link for Tipping Point to be able to read more about it and know how you can participate in making that commitment as we, together we move into the future to be able to accomplish all of these things. Well, personally, I just want to thank you for your generosity, for the Finance Committee, for those that are overseeing the finances. It's a great responsibility we take seriously and are grateful to be able to do. And I look forward to how we move forward in the future to accomplish the vision and God's purposes for us. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. And I really appreciate you minding all the practical things of church life. And I appreciate all of you um, who have given not money to a church budget, but given your lives to the process of discipleship and building the kingdom of God. Now, before we go into the word, let's pray together again. God, by your mercies, we are gathered here and all over the world to present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to you, which is our spiritual service of worship. We ask you to help us not to be conformed to the world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove, that we may live your will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So apply your word to our minds that we might not grow shallow and to our hearts that we might not grow cold and to our feet that we might be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. If you want to know why God made you personally, individually, like he did, because you were knit together in your mother's womb, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He did not make another person like you. He does not have a purpose that anyone else can do except you. For your life, you are irreplaceable. If you want to know why God made you like he did, why you've been through what you have, no one has your experience, nor the benefits that can come by it. You are irreplaceable in learning and growing from that experience and benefiting others by that experience. If you want to know why you're still here, See, if God had no mission for you, you'd be gone. He would have taken you. You're here for a purpose. And if you want to know what that purpose is, you've got to do something else in your life. Something new. You've got to take the next step. And the next step is to see your life as God sees it. To see those around you as God sees them. To see the world as God sees the world. You see, we can't proceed just by starting with us. Last week, Pastor Matt, he's the master of sermon props. You know, and he brought a puzzle. And he handed it out to somebody in the, you? Okay. Just gave her the pieces and took the box top. Gave her the pieces and took the box top. 
And of course, the illustration is this. We've got all the pieces. We are all the pieces. But until you see the big picture, you don't know how those pieces fit together. So he said, you have to see the big picture of God. And then he said, it's not really a picture. It's a plot. It's an unfolding plot in which all of us have a role to play. But you don't know what it is until you see the big picture. Well, he finally did give you the lid. But he said, here's the big picture of Scripture. The glory of God. What is the purpose of life? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now that's the big picture, but let me ask you this question. Uh, so how do I put that into practice? You see, it's not enough just knowing the picture. It's got to become actionable in our lives from where we are. And so therefore, let me take the next step. And the next step is, once you see the big picture, you've got to live your piece of it. Now I've told you before, what we're going to be doing this year is we're not just going to be having the best year of our lives regardless of our circumstances. But we're going to be able to see things from God's perspective. And that requires four steps. Concurrently, not consecutively. Number one, you have accurate theology as to who God is. You believe accurately. And you live that belief. Number two, you see what you are to become. Not just what you are, what you are to become. Number three, you see to whom you belong. Everybody needs big church. But everybody needs personal church too because you've got to be surrounded with people who encourage you, who sustain you, who pull out of you what God's put in there for the whole world. And then you've got to begin spiritual conversations because you never fully know what you believe until you try to communicate it to somebody else. So we're going to take just one first step of one today. And we're going to say this. The glory of God has to do with the goodness of your life. Now let me, let me give you, make that connection for you. Make a connection. First of all, what I'm about to tell you is going to seem so simple. And it's just going to seem like everybody should know this. But we presume everybody knows everything and people really don't. Common sense isn't common. If you want an example of that, read some of, the, some of the warnings that manufacturers put on their products. They are the dumbest things. Becky was going through, she does spend a lot more time online than I do. I just kind of read books, but she spent a lot of time online. And, 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 she, and she came across this site with these warnings, actual warnings. Let me give, just, just give you a few of them. Here's a, one for a fishing lure with hooks on it. Harmful if swallowed. On a fishing lure. That's a warning. Here's another one. On an electric router from a, from, from a carpenter's, uh, uh, for a carpenter. This product not intended for use as a dental drill. <laughs> Actual warning on a product. Let me give you another one. Label found on a baby stroller. 
remove child before folding. It's an actual warning. You would think people would know that. Let me give you another one. Underarm deodorant says, cautions, do not spray in eyes. How would you even do that? Maybe somebody has a sweaty brow. I I don't know. But it's a warning. Here's another one for a laser printer. Do not eat toner. One last one. You know those cardboard things that you go across the entire windshield? Do not drive with sunshield in place. You can't be too simple. You've got to go back to the basics so that people don't wreck out of the box, okay? Here's the key. If you want to communicate your faith, you have to live your faith. You can't tell people about what you believe. You have to live what you believe. You've got to interrupt the common thinking. The common thinking. The two sermon texts for you today are some of the two of the, the, some of the best sermon texts. But they start with the word but. But. That's a, that's a, that's a conjunction. A connecting conjunction. But. And it causes an interruption. You thought you were going this direction. You're not going this direction. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But. What comes before in Acts chapter 1 verse 7? The disciples are saying to Jesus, are you at this time going to reestablish the kingdom? And Jesus says to them, that's none of your business. It's not for you to know. I always get tickled at everybody always trying to nail down the date when Christ is coming again. Because Christ has already said, it's not for you to know. Quit messing with stuff you can't manage and you can't know and you can't control. Last weekend, Becky and I were talking with young marrieds, and, uh, or they were about to get married. It was, a, it, was a it was a training class for marriage. And Becky, as many of you know, has written this book, uh, uh, Being Good to Your Husband on Purpose. And one of, the, one of the prospective brides raised up her hand, and she said, you know, the only thing that would make this book better is you've, you'd have written what the husbands are supposed to do. And Becky looked at it and said, essentially, that's none of your business. You can't control what your husband's doing. You can control what you're doing. All of us should just control what we're doing, live our lives. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Not do my witnessing. You will be my witnesses. That's the most powerful part of witnessing you can possibly do in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3.15. But what comes before it? You're going to be persecuted for your faith. Don't be intimidated, it says, by people who are against you for your faith. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart's Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Now, let me say something. We mainly grow through questions. We love questions. If you have questions about the faith, about the Bible, about how something applies, 
We want you to ask us. And all during this year, we're going to have a part in most of the services where we answer questions or we don't because there is no answer and we want you to know it. Or we'll answer them partially. That's how the Bible does it. Sometimes the Bible includes answers. Sometimes the Bible includes partial answers. Sometimes the, the Bible says, yeah, that's too big a question for you. You, could, you, couldn't, you couldn't get the answer. If you've got questions, we want you to start emailing them in to questions at northlandchurch.net. And some of them we'll take, we'll take up in service. Some of them we'll, I'll do ask a pastor on, on video and on the site and all of that kind of stuff. But just email them in. It says, always be ready to give an answer, to answer questions. Here's the problem with that. How many people are really asking you about your faith? I mean, really. How many people every day ask you a question about your faith? Hardly ever happens. You know why? Because people aren't interested in your faith until they see you living a life that is so different, they've got to ask you about it. That's why the first part of that 1 Peter 3 verse is so important. But sanctify in your hearts Christ Jesus. Sanctify. You see, the glory of God is related to the goodness of God. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses is talking with God. At the, just at the tent of meeting, you know, he used to go down at the tent of meeting, the Shekinah glory would come down, a cloud would come down. And one day he said to God, this is in 33:18, I pray, I pray you, show me your glory. And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. The goodness of God reveals the glory of God. When people see the goodness of God in your life, they'll start to get the idea of the glory of God. And so therefore, we've got to go through a process by which God establishes goodness in our lives. And that process is called, this is the big theological word, sanctification. Sanctification. Now let me tell you big, two big theological words. And then I'll give you the, the colloquial equivalents. The first one is justification. Justification the, uh, uh, simply means getting saved or being born again. That's, what, that's how we usually uh, refer to it. It happens one time. You don't have to keep getting saved. You don't have to keep being born again. You can't be born again more than once. You're born again. It says, and, and, and it's the act of receiving the gift of salvation through Christ's sacrifice on the cross and entrusting your life to him as, as your Lord and Savior. It's that simple. And when you do that, and you can do that at any time, those of you who have not, you don't need a preacher, you don't need an altar. You can say, Christ, I know when you died on the cross, you paid for my sins too. I want to accept that gift. I don't deserve it. There's nothing I can ever do to earn it. It's a gift. I just want to receive it. And I know that your blood covers the penalty 
for my sins. And you just receive it. You are saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith, not of works. Any of you can pray that prayer. And you're saved and you're born again. And then it's, watch this, justified, never sinned. That's how you can remember the word. It's justified, never sinned. You're wiped clean. But God doesn't leave you there. You know, most people's version of salvation is, I'm going to get saved so I know I can go to heaven, and then I'm going to try to behave myself until I die. That's a pretty shallow Christian life. God has way more for you than that. And that's why sanctification or the process It's not a one-time thing. It's a process of being made holy. Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming holy. Distinctly growing into the image of Christ and being available for God's use. Holy simply means separated for God's use. That's simply what the word means. Separated for God's use. Now let me tell you why this is so important. We live in a world where we're too easily satisfied with the world's version of Christianity. And the world's version of Christianity is, you can believe whatever you want to believe, don't impose it on me, and don't, don't trouble me about it, but believe whatever you want to believe, but behave like the rest of us do. That's the world's version of Christianity. The Bible calls this worldliness. David Wells once said, Worldliness is what makes sin look normal in any age and righteousness seem odd. Say, say, right, worldliness is what makes sin look more normal in any age. You have a pressure on you to agree that sin is normal. You also have a pressure on you not to follow God in ways that will disturb other people. Here's the problem. If you're following God, it will disturb other people. They will call you names. They will call you bigot. They will call you judgmental. They will call you condemning. They will call you hateful. Even though you're none of that. You don't hate anybody. You're not trying to judge anybody. You're just trying to follow God for what he says and for what it means in your life, for crying out loud. But that's the world we live in. So so what does God want us to do? God simply wants us to get out of the first steps of being saved. That is the assurance that we're going to heaven. Because if you're saved, you can be sure you're going to heaven. Stop worrying about that. And the whole idea of I'm going to try not to sin very much. That's not really a good goal. Uh, I think it was Jerry Bridges who wrote uh, The Pursuit of Holiness that said, saying I'm going to try not to sin very much is like a soldier going into battle saying I'm, not, I'm going to try not to get shot very much. Not a really good goal. Seriously, not a really good goal. God made you for so much more than trying not to sin, for crying out loud. He's got so much more. Don't settle. Don't settle. Let me tell you a true story. 
When I was in high school, I was dating this pretty little cheerleader. Just working my way to Becky. No, 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 nothing serious. <clears throat> Waiting my... T- uh, and, 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 and I, I was just old enough. We, we wanted to go to the prom together. And I, I was old enough to have my learner's permit, but not my license. And she was old enough, I dated older women, she was old enough to have her license. So if she was in the car, I could drive. But I had no, I had no car. And so she said, I'll ask my daddy if he'll give us the car. They had this little, remember those little Volkswagen Beetles? That's what they had. And, and, and so I said, okay. So she goes in, she said, Daddy, well, you know, man, look, you know, just heart melted right on the spot. And he's, and he's, can, can we have the car for the, pro- well, sure, baby. Now he comes out, now he comes out. Now I, I gotta say this to you. When a high school boy is dating a girl, the father of that girl is intimidating just from being in the role. I mean, and should be. Enjoy it. Intimidate all you want, you know? That's what you're there for. But this guy was, I mean, in my eyes, he was a giant. He was huge. He was bald. He looked like, some of you are old enough to remember this name, Ray Nitschke. You remember this name? Ray Nitschke. Flash a picture up with Ray Nitschke. Ray Nitschke, right there. Okay. Middle linebacker for the Packers. That's who this guy, he, this guy looked like, I'm sure he was a perfectly nice guy. That's who this guy looked like to me. He comes in the room after he said, yeah, you can take the car and looks directly at me. And he says, do you know how to drive a stick? Now, let me tell you something else. <laughs> Anytime you ask a man, do you know how? The answer is always going to be course. You know, whether we do or not, it's a man thing. If we say no, they revoke our man card. It's gone. <laughs> Men always got to feel like they, it's got to seem like they know what they're doing. So here's this, do you know how to drive a stick? Sure. Then he said, good, let's go out for a test drive right now. Man, I just sweated through my shirt on the way to the door. I get in the driver's seat, his big hulky thing. I'd I put it in front. I'd seen somebody drive a stick. You know, they had those little H's on them back then to show you where the gear, gears were just in case you forgot. I was grateful for the H. And I knew enough to let out just a little bit on the clutch, you know, and so I, and so I, I, I didn't hiccup it dead right away. And got it in first gear, and we were driving down this little road behind his house. And I thought, well, I'm gonna take a chance on second. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I pressed the, the, the clutch in, and second's not tough, because it's just straight back. Not tough. And I successfully got it in second. And then I just kept driving. <laughs> totally satisfied with driving in second gear. I was totally satisfied. Finally, he looks over at me and he says, 
you know this car's got more than two gears, right? <laughs> I said, yes. Well, there's a whole other part of the story I don't have time for today. I'll tell it to you sometime. <laughs> but, but let me tell you the analogy here. Most Christians totally satisfied with second gear. I go from being not saved, you know, just kind of going along, you know, to, all right, now I'm saved, and now I'm a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is somebody who's pretty much like they were before they were a Christian, on they're trying not to sin, and they know they're going to heaven. That's what a carnal Christian is. Here's the problem with living life like that. It won't go well. If you try to drive a Volkswagen only in second gear, what's going to happen? You're going to burn the engine out. Because that car was made to go in many more places than just puttering on a back road. Your life was made to go in many more places than just puttering on a back road. There's third and there's fourth when you can fly. And it doesn't take near the fuel and you make up all, you understand. That's the process of sanctification. That we grow in Christ. That we learn the power he has in our life. Because it's never about our power. It's always about him. Last week, Matt said this verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So therefore, what's our sanctification? Christ. Looking at Christ. What's the plan for our life? What's the plot for our life? Christ. This is what it says in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. In other words, don't settle for the life that you lived only a little better. Don't settle for that. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Isn't there a time in your life when you say, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do stuff anymore that's destroying my life. It's destroying my relationships. It makes me a hypocrite. I live in the darkness and I come out in the light and I'm a different person. I'm just tired of this. Of course there is. That's why we all need the process of sanctification. That is becoming holy in the power of God. And there are basically five approaches, traditionally, historically, and all of them have something to offer us. Five approaches to sanctification, that is living differently, living holy. And this is what we're all going to be doing together. It's a process. You keep coming back. Every week, there are going to be new installments every week. But before we can answer people about our faith, we have to learn to walk in our faith. Because we are the answer. We are their best answer. And so therefore, let me go down these real quickly. I, I won't, this isn't, this isn't going to be, I'll just give you an idea of the different perspectives. None of which depend on the power of us to be good. 
Because if you're depending on your own self-discipline to be good, <laughs> how's that working? Yeah, doesn't work for any of us. Doesn't work for any of us. This is the Lutheran, this is the Lutheran uh, perspective. You don't need to do anything. Seriously, if you try, you'll just mess it up. Just remember who you are in Christ. Remember you're saved. And as you keep remembering that, as you keep looking at God, you will be transformed. 2 Corinthians 3.18 would be the uh, verse you would read for this. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. From glory to glory, from step to step, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Who does it? The Lord, the Spirit. The second approach is the Reformed approach. It's just a little bit more participation on our part. And the participation is like this. And this is for your Presbyterians. You remember this in the Reformed Church of America and all of the, all of the other uh, f- folks with Reformed theology. I, I, I happen to have a perspective of Reformed theology uh, that I've kind of grown into. Um, but, but basically it says, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter th- uh, 1, verse 30, it says, by doing this, you are in Christ Jesus, watch, who became to us wisdom from God, became to us, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. See, we don't have to have wisdom. We don't have to be righteous, or sanctified, or... He in us, it's no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. He is our righteousness. So the closer you get to him, the closer you fix your eyes on Jesus, the more you will become like him. Do you know how this works? If you really love somebody and you hang out with them a lot, you're going to become like them. It's it's true. Because you want to please them. And so you'll start thinking like they think. And you'll start talking like they talk. And you'll start acting like they act. That's what love does. So this is about a relationship. Let me tell you the third one. The third one is Wesleyan. This is, these are the people from whom I come. And, and, and there's still a great deal of Methodism in me. I, I, I'm an old Methodist preacher. And I love the Methodist Church. I love John Wesley. I love uh, uh, Wesleyans in the Methodist Church um, have this ideal that you do your part, God will do his part. Now, again, in all of these, there's truth. Their verse would be Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's that mean? That means you've got to discipline your life to get your bodies in the right place. You know, it's work. When when we invite you to classes, even one-time classes like these life labs are, these are fascinating, by the way. There are going to be people who are t- talking about how you approach God in business. There are going to be people who talk about history, the history of Christianity in this country. 
There are going to be people who are talking about how to be a good wife and a good mother and, a, and so on and so forth and, and, and all the relationships of the family. All fascinating. But you've got to discipline your life to get it there. Get your body there. Just get your body. You don't have to have the right attitude. Just get your body in the right place. Discipline yourself to read scripture, whether you feel like it or not. Discipline your, your life. You know, so there's, there's a certain amount of discipline in this. You know, when I was ordained as a Methodist pastor, this is 45 years ago. The bishop asked us this question. Do you expect to go on to perfection in love in this life? Now you talk about an intimidating question. But you got to hear that he wasn't saying, do you expect to be perfect? Do you expect never to make a mistake? Do you expect never to sin? Here's what he was saying. Do you expect to love the Lord your God so much that nobody is more miserable when you sin than you are? That's where I am. I am one miserable sinner. When I fall into sin... And, it's, and it's, it's less and less frequent because I can't stand the pain. But when I have a reaction, when I have a, 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 a thought, when I, ha- I hate that. So I've come into that place because God is at work within me. Let me tell you just a couple more. Pentecostal. Pentecostals, a lot of you are from a Pentecostal background. I love Pentecostals. When I was a Methodist preacher, I used to go in the midweek to Pentecostal church. And, and, and this is what they, 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 they believe there ought to be an ex- experience, some evidence of some manifestation of the Spirit in your life. And so their, their verse would be 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, that doesn't mean just, just the spiritual gift only. We're going to come to spiritual gifts in a couple of months, by the way. Stick around. You need to know what your spiritual gifts are. But, but what they're saying is, yeah, I, I can see the glory of God because he's worked it in my life. Because, because there's been things happening in my life that have no other explanation. I can see the goodness of God because I'm walking in the goodness of God. And then there's the contemplative. Contemplatives say there are basically two parts of life. There's the practical part of life. But there's the soul part of life, the deep part of life. Psalm 119, verse 11, might be a verse that they would grasp. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. You know, when you read the word, some people read it for an answer. I've got to have an answer. That's the wrong way to read the word. I mean, I appreciate the desperation. I appreciate you go to the source, but not going to find a lot just looking for the answer or or the way to prove your point. Some people read it just for religious knowledge, and then and then they get with the passage and they go, "Ah, I don't know that I learned anything there. But some people read it just because it's God's word, and it's worthy just to read because it comes from God. And they love just to think about it because it comes from God. 
and their lives will be changed. Bernard of Clairvaux, famous contemplative. I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm talking a long time here. I, I'm going to get done in just a minute. Used to say there are four levels of love. One is to love so that your life will get better. Some people love God so that their life will get better. Well, that's something. But even the Gentiles do that. Two is to love, to love God in order that you will be a better person. It's not for practical reasons. It's, it's because you know that that's the right thing to do and you want to be somebody different. You want to do, you want to love him because, because that's the kind of person you want to be. The third level of love is just to love God for God. Just to love him, not because any effect it has on you, but just because he's worthy. And it's what you were made to do. Would you like to know what the fourth level is? It'll surprise you. It's to love yourself as God loves you. If you love someone, you want your life to be their pleasure. You want to see yourself like they see you. This is easy for me to understand because I want to actually become the man someday that my wife thinks I am, that my kids think I am, because I love them. But even more important to me, I want to become the man God saw when he made me. And God put together in me for the world. That's the fourth level. So keep coming. We're going to do this together. It's a process, but it's a process together. Pray with me. Lord, we come offering our bodies as living sacrifices acceptable to you, which is our spiritual service of worship. Help us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may live out what is good and acceptable and perfect in thy sight. We pray this in your name. Amen.